Welcome back to the Constitution Line by Line. I'm Senator Mike Lee. The text gives Congress the power, quote, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by the Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof, close quote. The last clause in this section, known as the necessary and proper clause, was inserted to ensure that Congress was not overly limited in its ability to execute the powers elsewhere granted to it. Writing in The Federalist, James Madison argued that the clause was necessary to allow Congress to function and that without it, the Constitution would amount to a dead letter. Others disagree, with Patrick Henry arguing that the clause was far too broad and would inevitably result in an unlimited expansion of congressional authority. The Necessary and Proper Clause was tested in 1819 in a case called McCulloch versus Maryland, which dealt with the question of whether the federal government could create a national bank. Because the wording of this clause, including the term necessary and proper, is by its nature quite broad and vague, we've relied on the courts to a degree to clarify the, the meaning of this provision. In McCulloch versus Maryland, Chief Justice John Marshall adopted a broad interpretation of the necessary and proper clause, concluding that the word necessary did not have to mean absolutely necessary, and that the clause made explicit the incidental powers, which would otherwise have been implied by Article I, Section 8. Along with the Commerce Clause, the Necessary and Proper Clause has been used to justify a large number of federal laws over the years including many provisions in President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal. In Wickard versus Filburn uh, in 1942, the Supreme Court concluded that the Necessary and Proper Clause read together with the Commerce Clause uh, could be used to justify laws uh, governing the production of wheat by individual farmers. In that case, it concluded that these grain production limits uh, put in place under federal authority could be justified because uh, notwithstanding the fact that the wheat in question never entered interstate commerce, in fact it never entered commerce at all, it was kept on the farm of this farmer named Roscoe Filburn to use as seed for the following season and to feed uh, farmer Filburn's family and his livestock. The Supreme Court nonetheless concluded that because by producing wheat in excess of the grain production limit, even if he was intending to use it on his own farm, he would end up incidentally affecting interstate commerce. And therefore, under the Necessary and Proper Clause, read in conjunction with the Commerce Clause, Congress's authority could extend to something as local and non-economic as growing wheat and using it on your own farm. In United States versus Comstock in 2010, the court decided that the Necessary and Proper Clause grants Congress broad power to enact laws that are rationally related and reasonably adapted to executing the other enumerated powers. In 2012, the Necessary and Proper Clause was reined in a little by the majority decision in National Federation of Independent Business 
versus Sebelius, in which Chief Justice John Roberts concluded that the individual mandate in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, could not be justified on grounds of the Necessary and Proper Clause read in conjunction with the Commerce Clause. The clause, Chief Justice Roberts concluded, does not create new powers for Congress, but merely applies to those that can be naturally inferred from Congress's existing enumerated powers. Nevertheless, the mandate was ultimately upheld on other grounds. The point is this, the Necessary and Proper Clause doesn't create an independent wellspring for authority. It's always something that has to be read in conjunction with another enumerated power of Congress. And even there, it's something that has to be read in such a way as to give life and meaning to it. So for example, it's clear that Congress has the power to declare war, Congress has the power to create an army and a navy, for example. It doesn't specifically mention programs for veterans, but one could reasonably conclude that uh, a necessary part of having a military requires the provision of benefits for veterans. These are the kinds of things that help us understand the necessary and proper clause, but the important thing to remember is it doesn't independently authorize anything. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Constitution Line by Line. In the next episode, we'll move on to Article 1, Section 9 which outlines the powers explicitly denied to Congress. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and click the bell for notifications. I hope you'll join us next time.